What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Studio Wesley Annex, our weekly discussion of the lectionary text. I'm Derek Scott III, your host, along with my good friend, Brooke Lawrence. Brooke, how are you doing today? If I can ask that, is that all right? Um, no, that's it's not all right. <laughs> that's a really personal question. It is. Um, it is. I'm but... sorry. I, I should have. I should have prepared. So yeah, I think Brooke's doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brooke, it's great to be with you and great to be here with some friends. Michael Yerrick, who um, is a part of the Studio Wesley team. Michael, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good. They opened up a bakery next to my work, so life is great. Life in the Midwest. It must be <laughs> awesome. Opening up a bakery. And y'all, the very right awesome. I can't say the the, the right reverend because she's nope. a laity. <laughs> so I'll just say the very right awesome Heather Pancoast from Gator Wesley is with us. Heather, how are you doing today? So good. So good. So glad to be here. So glad that it's supposed to get cold tomorrow. And yes. glad that uh, it's almost almost Christmas break. So Good. Happy to be with you. Oh, man. So we're recording this, obviously, a little bit earlier. But this these are the texts for <laughs> the second week of Christmas. Because, yes, there are 12 days, which means we get two Sundays. And uh, so we're in that second week of Christmas. It's going to be a great, great episode. Hopefully it will be cold by the time you are watching this. Um, and we're just going to have a great conversation. So I'm going to ask my friend Heather if she would open us in prayer. And then we'll start talking through the text. All right. Let's pray. God of grace and peace, you come to us in all times, in times where we feel your connection so closely, in times when maybe it feels a bit more distant. But God, we are grateful every time we are awakened to your presence in our lives. We find you in the scripture, God, and we give thanks for that. And so, Lord, we ask in this moment, as we are diving into scripture and looking at your word and how it can teach us and what it contains, that we might just be open to the way the spirit would move to the things that you would have for us this day. In your holy and precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've got a great conversation ahead of us. Um, we're going to be paying attention today to Hebrews chapter 2, Isaiah 63, Psalm 148, and Matthew 2. And Michael, you're going to get us started with the Hebrews 2 text. So my friend, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Yeah. So as always, Derek has stacked the, decks to, the deck against me with all these beautifully intelligent people coming after me. So I'm glad I'm going first. Uh, yeah, I'm doing uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Uh, funny enough, this whole chunk is kind of somebody commenting on the words that Jesus has said. So I, there was part of me for a second there where I was like, oh, I could just like read the text. And if they're not familiar, they may just think that I'm the one saying this. It's very smart. But uh, instead, I will just read kind of this preface that the voice translation has before this text it says here's god's son creator sustainer great high priest jesus has to take on our feeble flesh and suffer a violent death he suffers for what we need um yeah so this whole this whole text oh let me also read this last sentence because i think it's awesome uh since he has also been tested by suffering he can help us when we are tested so this whole thing, again, I'm trying not to read the whole thing, though I want to because it's awesome. Uh, a lot of beautiful imagery of family in this. Um, this idea that we would do anything for our children just keeps pushing itself back at me. Um, yeah, I, I think we all know that God the Father is like the biggest image or God is like a parent figure. It's the biggest image throughout the Bible. And I think this is once again emphasizing that to us, like, 
yeah, Jesus needs to suffer on the cross in order for him to be able to help us through our own suffering. Uh, kind of gives that same image to me as like the parent, whenever a parent says like, oh, I would, I like, if I could go through this pain for you, I would. Like, um, I feel like we've all seen that in a movie or maybe felt that in our own lives from somebody where they're saying like, oh, I wish I could take this pain from you, but instead I'm just going to sit here through it with you. Um, meanwhile, Jesus is like, I'm going to put myself through that pain on your behalf because I absolutely can. Um, there, There's also like specific direct relation of Jesus, like calling himself our family. I, I will say this, this, this chunk of verse both refers to us as Jesus's like brother and sister and as his children, uh, that children imagery, uh, these are the children you have given me. He says to us, um, also being his brothers and sisters, uh, he has to become human as his sisters and brothers so that when the time came, he could be a merciful and faithful high priest of God called to reconcile a sinful people. Uh, I think there are also implications of good leadership here. The high priest of God is called to reconcile a sinful people. Notions of leadership being like good leadership, the high priest being somebody who maybe has the lived experiences of the people that they're representing, I thought was maybe an interesting idea that comes out of here. Very direct notion, at least in my opinion. Um, the last thing I wanted to point out here is um, it's uh, well, let me find it. Uh, so that by dying, he could destroy the one who held power over death, the devil, and destroy the fear of death that has always held people captive. This part just stuck out to me because, I mean, I think younger generations, I don't want to speak for everybody, but at least in my experience, the fear, the fear of death is obviously a terrifying thing, specifically because in this journey of trying to find our purpose uh, and your purpose, your place in everything. Uh, it's scary to think that you could die before you find that, um, especially when that's a big thing that you're always concerned with finding. So it at least feels very heightened. And here we have Jesus saying like, um, he's going to destroy the fear of death that looms over us. Um, and then tying that back into this idea that Jesus has to suffer in order to help us through our suffering. I think it really contextualizes for me the this, the fear that Jesus is feeling in the garden of Gethsemane later on, he feels, he's like, he feels that fear of death that he's now talking about how he can maybe help us through. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's all I got. I'm going to throw it back to the group now. Michael, that was brilliant. <laughs> there was just so much in there and I'm really, really grateful for that. I, as I was, as I was listening to you and in particular part was you were lifted up around the family the family imagery, I was just reading coming right out of verse 10, I just lifted up very quickly. This salvation belongs to many sons and daughters whom he's leading to glory. I just, it, because this is Christmas, I, I began to get, think about certain Christmas hymns talking about the incarnation and the goal of the incarnation leading many of us to glory, leading us to, to be a specific type of people, a specific type of family. And, and so Jesus being our elder brother, and then that, that the father, I mean, all of that sort of tying together that there's a purpose to being brought into this family. And um, that's something that we get to celebrate uh, in this season, the purpose of the holy family, the, the glorious family. And so just a lot of thoughts there that I just love. So I'll just ask Heather, Brooke, y'all got anything, uh, anything that resonated with you, anything you want to add to the discussion? Well, I also love, Michael, your your take on and your your words about family. 
And I think it's interesting, right? Because I, I definitely come from a space right now in my life where family is really central to what I do day in and day out. I have children, I'm married and um, we're busy being a family. But I also recognize that for some, like this season and this celebration of Christmas as a culture isn't always the best in terms of family dynamics. And so I love, love, love this idea that we often are called to create different spaces of family um, in our life and that it's not always just our like family we were biologically born into because sometimes there's a lot of baggage and pain and trauma with that family. Um, and so I just, I really love the imagery. Um, I love what you said about, you know, we do anything for our children and that God even more so. Um, and really, really love that. The last thing that that I just wanted to mention, and this may be real often, you may be like, okay, I'm not asking Heather back to one of these conversations after I mentioned this, but I've been watching and listening to some interviews um, with, with some people that have gotten involved in cults. And one of the ideas, so if, you, if you've heard of the show, the HBO, The Vow, it's a documentary about cults. And one of the things they talk about is this idea that they're trying to cap, um, capture folks who are looking for community, for family, and who are desiring a purpose. And that when they can kind of combine those two things in and give somebody a, a, a family or a group that they can belong to and a purpose with which they can strive towards, that that's like the perfect ingredients for for a, for a cult. So now that I'm saying that the church is a cult, cult-ish probably in some ways, um, but what the reason that cults use those two things is because they're so powerful, right? And in this in this story, in the scripture, we have both of those things coming together, like the importance of family, the importance of purpose, um, and how we connect to God through those two things. So those are just some, some you know, cult-like things that stood out to me. <laughs> in Whoa! <your> <laughs> That might lead to, excuse me, that might lead to an additional conversation, Heather. I'm I'm just going to say, love it. Uh, Thanks for that. Brooke, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I I really appreciate your thoughts and your wording, Mike, around, um, you know, how people say like they have family, like um, I think especially of parents who have kids who are going through hard things say like, I wish, I wish that I could go through this instead. Um, and the idea that like Jesus does take that on for us, just the viscerality of how involved his care is. I, um, yeah, that's very meaningful to me. Thanks for that. Mike, profound. Thanks so much for that contribution. We're going to head right into Isaiah 63. And Brooke, you've got a massive text (laughs) for today. Yeah, I'm just going to pick out um, a few verses from it. Um, It is Isaiah 63, 7 through 9. So I'm going to start with the first verse. The favors of the Lord, I will recall the glorious deeds of the Lord because of all he has done for us. Um, For he is good to the house of Israel. He has favored us according to his mercy and his great kindness. Um, I love this idea. I love remembering. um, And I know this doesn't work for everyone, but like it, it sometimes works for me, remembering the things that God has done for us sometimes. Um, And sometimes it doesn't work, right? Like sometimes things are hard and it's important to remember that. But sometimes when 
when I'm having a hard time with faith and hope, or like right now, I'm in the middle of trying to apply for grad school and just trying to, <laughs> I feel very, very stressed out at the moment. But sometimes when I take a breath and I remember um, the goodness of God, which I um, I usually describe as like the bright things in the world, when I remember that, um, like in this prayer, like remembering the glorious deeds of the Lord, how he's favored us according to his mercy and his great kindness. Um, I feel really fortunate and blessed that there are things that I can point to where I can see um, and recall the ways that God has brought bright things and light into my world and into um, and into the world at large. And when I think of those things, it really does give me courage and strength to carry on. So I, I like being able to identify with that sentiment from so long ago as well. And to remember, um, have an idea of just how, how far and how wide God's um, God's great kindness really is. And I, I love the word kindness. It has such a deep meaning for me. Um, like to me to be kind is like the very best thing that you can be. And kind is the word that I associate with God, but I, I really appreciate scripture passages that um, that also identify that characteristic of God. And then I'm going to skip over verse eight because it, it's fine. Um, and I'm going to go straight to verse nine. In their every affection, affliction, it was not a messenger and an angel, but he himself who saved him. Because of his love and pity, he redeemed them himself, lifting them and carrying them all the days of old. Um, and again, um, this spoke to me in my context where um, again, like it's, it's very, it's important to acknowledge like the original context of this verse. Like he's talking about, um, I think he's talking about, um, I think the writer is talking about, um, you know, like what God has done for Israel, like this people group who's gone through so much, like they're, they're going through a lot of things. So it, it makes sense that it's hard to plead in good things. Um, and it's a really big ask for Isaiah or the writer of this text to call on that. Um, but still the sentiment speaks to me in my current place where I am right now of um, it being December and I'm trying to apply for grad school and figure out all of that stuff. Because um, sometimes I, um, I do just need the prayer of like, I, like God will carry me through this. Um, I don't want to, um, in CCW, we've had a lot of like negative conversations about the footprints in the sand. So maybe not that imagery, but, um, but the idea of God, um, giving us what we need. I've really been thinking about, um, communion <laughs> and like how, how communion gives us, gives us strength for the journey. Um, and thinking about how God gives us that strength, um, gives us that strength to carry on through the day. And again, it's kind of like a butchering of, of the verse, but I, um, in my moment <laughs> where I'm kind of anxious, where I'm kind of like figuring out this stuff, I, um, I appreciate that I can still pull that stuff from, from this Isaiah text today. 
So good, Brooke. I love the way that you are bringing the text into your life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and literally, I felt like I, as you were talking, I just felt like you were pulling the text close. It just had this image of you like it and and letting it just land and like what's really happening in Brooke's world. And um, that image even of of uh, God carrying God's people. And and again, it's a, sort of the opposite now, but like I got that image of God carrying you and, and it was just, just beautiful. So I just, I turned to my friends here, Heather, Mike, uh, y'all have got any comments for Brooke's reflection? Brooke, thank you so much for sharing. And I also, I agree, Derek, that I, two things. I mean, I I felt that sense of like you really taking the scripture and letting it seep into your life and your situation, which is the gift of scripture, right? It's the gift that God gives us through the living, the living word. And also you talked about this um, brightness and and I, that light over your shoulder, I don't know if, if you can see it, but I, my eye was attracted to that light over your shoulder and how I just see that as, as, um, as God's faithfulness, right? We, we experience it, God's faithfulness, even in the most difficult of circumstances, and that's where we find hope. And so I, I just was really thankful for your honest sharing of how the scripture has um, impacted your life, maybe other periods, but specifically right now in your life. This may be somewhat tangential, but you had said the 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 phrase um, "God giving you what you need" or "God trying to give you what you need," and I was like, "What? What? Um, God, God should know what we need. Why? Why? Uh, why isn't He trying to give me what I need?" And I was like, "Oh, maybe what what I think I need and what God's trying God's trying to give me what I actually need, but there's something different that I think I need. I don't know. That's that that's what stuck out in my brain. I also." Um, I just noticed in my translation, it adds the word of like God showing love through concern, like on top of compassion and love, like God also like showing concern for us. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know why, but that, that word holds a lot of, a lot of weight for me in addition to like love and compassion. It's like, no, he, he's like concerned, concerned for me. And having somebody show concern for you is like, I don't know. It feels very strong. So yes. Anyways. So great. Brooke, thanks for that. And friends, we're going to be right back uh, for the rest of this episode of Studio Wesley Annex. We'll be right back. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Studio Wesley Annex. My name is Derek Scott III. I'm the campus minister and creative producer for Studio Wesley. Studio Wesley has been around for a few years, but we are now heading into a new season of ministry. We will continue to create and curate content for college-age young adults that we believe is inclusive, expansive, and liberative. But we also want to come alongside you, college-age young adults, wherever you are on your journey. Whether you're working and haven't connected to a local church, or you're on a campus that doesn't have a Wesley Foundation, or you're like most college-age young adults, trying to navigate life and faith and all that comes with it. We are here for you and would love to journey with you. Now, let me be clear, we are not mental health professionals. We are not ordained clergy. We're just everyday folks here. But in being everyday folks, we're just like you. We're just trying to figure out who we are and how that relates to our faith and our future. So with the digital tools that we have like Zoom and Instagram, 
we want to come alongside you. And so as we continue to design and expand Studio Wesley and what we offer, we'd love to hear what you feel like would actually serve you best. Feel free to send us an email at studiowesleyconnect at gmail.com or drop us a DM on Instagram or Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you, serving you, and journeying with you. And now back to the show. And we're back. Welcome back to this episode of Studio Wesley Annex. And we're going to continue with uh, the text for uh, second week of Christmas. And I get to talk about Psalm 148. So that's what I'm going to do right now. Psalm 148, it starts with praise the Lord. And, and I'll just start there that this whole psalm is an invitation, maybe even a command to praise the Lord. And I'll just name that. Some of us, when we read scripture, particularly scriptures like this, these psalms are challenging because they're like, everybody praise the Lord. Like, and, and if you read through this psalm, we won't do it today, but you read through Psalm 148, everybody, everything, like the whole of creation, praise the Lord. And some of us are like, I don't know. And I just want to name that this is a, a challenging text for some of us even in the season of Christmas, um, but any day. Um, and I think, you know, for some of us, praising God is emotional. And when it's not emotional, it's like, is it really real? And I would just say that for me, this is something that a lot of people probably don't know about me. Um, a lot of people know that I was a worship leader for many years and that I'm um, really expressive when I'm worship leading, when I'm just in worship, when I'm worshiping with people. I do, I do the hands up and um, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Um, even I don't like most of the songs that have come out in the last five or so years, but y'all, I'm 42. Of course, I don't like the songs that have come out in the last few years. Uh, and so it is what it is. But when I'm in worship, I'm there and I'm fully there. And, 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 you know, particularly my body is there. But here's something you should know about me. Rarely is worship emotional for me. Worship is very intellectual for me. And I am engaged in worship as an intellectual exercise, not just as a emotional or physical thing. And I just say that because um, for me, a person like me, like if it is only emotional, then I, I have a really hard time engaging and participating in worship. But I just want to name that this is really complicated for some of us. Like this, this whole admonition, again, this challenge even, this command, and I would, I would say it's an invitation, praise the Lord. And the psalmist goes on, it's later on, um, verse 11 of this psalm, it says, um, do the same, what is the same? Praise the Lord. Do the same, you kings of the earth, and every single person you princes and every single ruler on earth, do the same, you young men, you young women too, you who are old together with you who are young. It is just, it, it is this command, if you will, and it's complicated, but somehow I think it works. Somehow, particularly in the second week of celebrating Christmas, Christmas is a celebration, right? Christmas, and, and there are times that we celebrate not because we necessarily emotionally feel it, but we celebrate it because this is where we are. This is the, you, you know, it would be really, really rough to go to somebody's birthday party, someone else's birthday party, and then 
you're the one crying in the corner. There's that song, it's my party, it's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if it's your party and you want to cry, cool, cool, cool. But if it's somebody else's party, like it's just not cool. Like, don't do that. And like, and so I do, I acknowledge that praise, praising God is complicated, and yet. It is the invitation. It's the season we're in. And that's the other point that then I would make about this psalm. It's, it is inviting everybody and everything. It's this gathering. I heard N.T. Wright say that here's what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is trying to gather all of creation into this massive worship celebration of God. Psalm 148 feels like that. It feels like, I mean, it, and this is where it starts. It's like um, verse three, sun and moon, praise God. All of you bright stars, praise God. You highest heaven, praise God. Like the heaven, the sun and the moon and the stars are there. And like the whole heaven, like everything, everything, praise God. And so it's a challenge, yes, but it is also a gathering. It is saying that everybody is welcome into this party. And so even though there's a challenge there of praising God, depending on where we are emotionally, intellectually, mentally, physically, right? Like there, there's a challenge when be careful in texts like this, ableist language gets lifted up a great deal and praise is not always physical. There is a way of praising God that is definitely more uh, a mental exercise. And, and there's a way of praising God that is uh, just being present, being in the space. But we're all welcome into that space. And we're all welcome, even if it's hard. Even if it's like, I don't know if I feel like it today. I don't know if I feel like it. It is someone else's party. And I just invite us to consider, particularly during the season of Christmas, we're still in Christmas, to join the massive celebration that continues to go on in this season to praise the Lord, praise the God that has come to us and that is inviting all of us into the party. No one has to be left out. And I'll just tell you, I'll be one of those people. Emotionally, I won't be there because I got six emotions and I'm probably not using it for the party, but I'll be there. I'll be there and I will join in the celebration because it's Christmas season and that's what we do. Okay. So my friends are going to join me now and they're going to be like, Derek, I see you and let me correct you. Or like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, cool. So, friends, y'all got any thoughts, any comments? First of all, I had not until right now processed that all Christmas music is just like, yay. Like, oh, hark, joy to the world. Rejoice. Go tell it. Like, yeah, we're all just like, yay, woot. That's a lot. That's like inside out, but all joy all the time, which is didn't work out in that movie. Anyways, I... I don't know how and it's a lot. All joy all the time is a lot. I just want to name that. Okay, go ahead, Michael. <laughs> um, I don't. I so I actually don't know. It, like, are the lectionary texts meant to be read in a certain order? Mm. If they are, I'm definitely breaking a rule. Well, okay. I was yeah. just gonna say. I just think it's fun that like Hebrews is like. Hey, by the way, like Jesus suffers so that he can understand you better. And then Brooks is like, let me give you all the reasons why we praise. And then throw in the Psalms. That's like now praise. Yay. <laughs> it's like, we did a lot of preface work so that Christmas wouldn't feel all joy. Oh my God. Or like, let's just lay Ooh. the ground first, which I just think is, is very funny and kind of very fitting for the intellectual and the emotional. We're like, here's some reasons. Okay. Now. I love it. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. And just wait till we get to the next passage. When we talk about murdering babies, <laughs> then we can put it all together. <laughs> oh no. 
So yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Derek, I was driving somewhere this week and literally the song, it's the most wonderful time of the year, whatever that song is called. That's the line, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. And I'm driving, I have a coffee and it, I hit a bump and I spilled coffee all over my lap and um, burned and it hurt. And I said some words and my daughter was like, but mom, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Like she threw that song back in my face. But I kind of now I'm like, man, she was just kind of commanding me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> she was like, mom, even when you spill your coffee, mom, even when you, um, you know, something's not going on the way you want it to be, it praise the Lord. Um, and I, I am much less likely as a human, generally speaking, I don't like when I'm told to do something. I'm enough of like, not a rule follower that when someone tells me I have to do something, I tend to be like, oh, uh, no, <laughs> you can't tell me, you can't tell me to do that. So I think that it's, uh, it's interesting because I really resonate with what you say, Derek, about not the intellectual, I'm not an, I'm not an intellectual, but that piece about it is an invitation, but it, it's also like you're invited to the party. You're going to be there whether you want to be there or not. And so what are you going to do? Um, are you going to praise? Are you going to cry at someone else's party? So that's really good. Um, good thoughts for me to, to, to think about and to reflect on personally. So I appreciate what you had to share. Yeah, I, um, I've really had the, um, the privilege of really diving into some of the Christmas and Advent texts this year with, um, with our students. And I, um, I hear, I, I hear what you're saying, Mike, about how like Christmas is like, yay, yay. Like I, um, you know, I, I carry over like a charged reaction when I hear like the word, like how I, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm always like, Oh no, we can't say that. I'm like, Brooke, it's not Lent. Like you can say it. Um, and like, this is, this is the season to say it. Right. But I, um, when I read the text, what I usually end up talking about, um, with my students is, um, is how the Christmas story has so many more emotions than joy. Like the Christmas story, um, I don't know, this, this always really resonates with me in like a good way, <laughs> kind of like how like the, the short ending of Mark, I think like the emotion I feel is like fear, you know, <laughs> which helps me because I, um, I don't know, like just having the bright Easter story is too bright for me. Like it can't just be, it can't just be Easter bunnies, right? <laughs> I can't do that story. Like I need, I need the fear that comes with it. I need the complication and the humanness of it. And the more I dive into the Christmas story this season, the more I really feel all of those emotions. I feel the uncertainty. I feel the doubt alongside the faith. I, I imagine the frustration and the fear and the heaviness around, um, you know, like, having to have your kid in a barn, like one of the most uncomfortable things I can imagine. Um, and there's this element of praise alongside it, right? Like I think of, uh, um, I don't know if this is coming biblically, but I imagine when I think of praise in the Christmas story, I imagine like the shepherds and the angels. Um, but that was a fearful thing. 
like the shepherds were like, <laughs> they were afraid. <laughs> I imagine they were tired. It was cold. It was nighttime. They were with their sheep. They were probably woken up. Like there's other things going on at the same time as this praise. Um, and as I read scripture, as I've been diving in um, lately, I do, I do hear this call to praise. I do hear this invitation to praise and how that's a very important part um, of the faithful life, of the Christian life. Um, and for me, it's wrestling with how, not even wrestling, but learning how to bring that praise with me while also not denying the emotions and the humanness of my moment, um, which is hard. Like it sounds hard, but when I'm in the moment, um, no, sometimes it's hard when I, when I like, when I'm listening to like worship music and it comes on one of those songs, like what, you know, like even in the storm, I'll praise you, you know, like that genre. Um, no, sometimes I'm like, God, I, I can't do this. Um, but when I'm, when I hold it with me throughout my day of I'm going to feel what I'm feeling and I'm going to remember where God is and what God is doing in the world, um, and willing, willing, um, willing myself to have willingness to be a part of it. Um, I do, um, I do have this little sense of hopeful glow and yeah, I also, um, thank you for that, Derek. Cause I, I do feel invited into that, um, that question of how do we, how do I praise God throughout my, throughout my day? Awesome. I appreciate y'all. And uh, we're uh, headed to the end of this discussion. Heather, you're about to just bring it home with Matthew chapter two. So take it away, my friend. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've mentioned murder of babies and that is for sure a part of um, a part of Matthew chapter two. Um, we catch up with the Holy Family um, kind of right as uh, things are dying down, right? Like all the visitors have come and gone and they are beginning to think about what's life going to be like now. And, um, it, it reminds me, I, you know, when my daughter was four, she learned the Easter story at her preschool. Um, her preschool teacher would, would tell a part of the story every day. And then, you know, she's four. So her brain just soaked it all in and she like memorized her teacher's retelling of the Easter story, but it ended right after, like she would tell the story and it, you know, in all the details, four years old, she was really cute. She would sit with a Bible on her lap and look down at the Bible as if she was actually reading it, but she was just telling it from memory. Um, and it, she ended the story by saying something like, and then they hung Jesus on a cross and he died the end. And that, and that was it just stopped. And this kind of reminds me, this picks up and it starts with, um, when the Magi had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And she goes on to explain that Herod is on the lookout for Jesus and is sending um, people to come and kill all of the young male children. And it, it continues that he does. He does what, what um, the angel says. He follows the word of God and he leaves. Um, all of this is also about uh, prophecies, right? These prophecies prophecies that we received in the, in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible and how they're coming true now in the life of Jesus. The scripture goes on to um, then tell the story of when they were visited again, when Joseph was visited again by another angel saying, Herod has died, get up, take your child and 
um, the mother of the child and go back to your homeland, to the land of Israel. So Joseph and the child and his and the mother um, go back and they they return to um, Nazareth, where Jesus would then grow up the rest of his life. And when I read this story, um, so much of what you guys have already said um, is really so cool because you know you asked Michael about the order of of the lectionary readings, but I just love how there's so much connectiveness in these stories. Um, you know, this was written, this is the book of Matthew. It was written to Jewish Christians. It was written to a Jewish audience. And so clearly we kind of pick up um, kind of initially on the, on the similarities between the story of Moses and the story of Jesus. Uh, Moses too had to be, um, had to flee, had to um, be taken to safety. Moses also left in the wake dead children, dead Hebrew children. Um, and there's so many similarities there, but I think what's interesting is it's like the writer is trying to say to the audience, you know, you know, Moses, you know, the story of Moses, you know, what happened there, you know, that in that awful situation and all of, of the history of the Israelites, God was faithful. And now you too can see that God will be faithful in the story of Jesus, that the same can be true. The God of the Israelites and the God of Jesus is that God is faithful God can be trusted and that you too can trust God. And so for me, I, I appreciate getting to kind of think about this scripture passage in terms of who the audience was originally. This was written about 70 um, CE and who the audience would have been. And then trying to extrapolate that to what we can now as modern readers of this story, what can we take from it because it's hard to read stories where babies are murdered anytime um, it's hard and it's, it's hard to make sense of or to understand why these kinds of stories would be included in scripture. But I think if we remember the original audience, that they would recognize the story, they would see similarities in the story from the story of Moses to the story of Jesus. And we can recognize that the, the author was calling the listener the audience to recognize God's faithfulness and to respond by trusting in a good and loving and faithful God. And the same is true for us today. Can we look at the story of Jesus? Can we see what happened in the birth of Jesus all the way through the Easter story, which like Brooke said, is very human and very dark and very scary. And can we see throughout that entire life of Jesus, God's faithfulness, and our call to be trusting that God loves us. God is loyal. God will be for us. Um, I think that that for me, that's kind of the call of this story to rec recognize God's faithfulness, what God has done throughout history and God continues to do. Wow. Part of me just feels like it's a mic drop, Heather. Like, um, as you were talking, I just began to think about refugees and immigrants and how, this is me connecting to the Psalm, how do we make Christmas an opportunity of praise for them? it possible 
and and that's where the, these and, and Brooke, I love to even you know as you were commenting on the psalm, how you brought us back to that place of it's it's the the joy and it's 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 the happiness and and so it's it's the for me this 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 gospel text is the and of Psalm 148. I'll stop there and see if Brooke or Michael has any other comments. So, so good, Heather, so good. Yeah, I, um, I feel kind of, um, my whole, <laughs> one of the, one of my whole things is I, um, I really, um, feel <laughs> attached to the idea of contemplating suffering. Um, so for me, when I read about, um, the children being murdered, it's hard. Um, and I, and I ask questions, and I see ask questions about, did that happen? Um, but the thing that I appreciate about it is that um, it does, to me, it, it allows it allows the Christmas story to also hold the evil and the cruelty <laughs> and that unspeakably horrible things that are present in our world. Um, and for that to be right alongside this, right, where... Um, baby Jesus, baby Jesus had to flee. Like there's this beautiful moment. And according to the story, then all the other babies are killed. Like I, I appreciate that the story that we're given has all of that. Cause like you're saying, Derek, like all of our Christmases, like the world's Christmases hold all of that. Right. Like there are horrible, like I keep thinking of there are horrible things that are happening this Christmas, this day, this moment. Um, and again, what I, what I feel challenged to do um, always <laughs> is to, um, to hold both that joy and centeredness of the Lord right alongside that solemn and deep awareness of the, <laughs> of the kids who are, who are dying right now. Um, and all of the ways that that means. Um, and yeah, I, um, again, like Christmas is a time of joy, but I, it's, it's very meaningful for me to also remember, remember the harder parts of this story and the harder parts of the season. Yeah. Just to, I mean, kind of reiterate everything you and you, Brooke and Derek just said, I think it's so easy to be like a, pass at least for me to be like a passive reader and like just to gloss over the fact that like king herod had this intent to kill a child right like because we know that it's a happy ending or like happy ending at least for the the christmas story like again how happy is it born in a manger right but like for us we know that there's the joy at the end of this or in the christmas story so it's so easy to take a passive stance reading about the yeah the killing of the child like honestly until we started talking about it today, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's <laughs> like, I'm literally directing a Christmas play right now where it, it mentions that verbatim and I'm still like, oh, but you know, like for some reason, nativity and Christmas just carries such joy that, oh, oh yeah, it's just, the very, there's a lot of passivity to it for me. And I'm like, wow, that's wild. I feel very called out in the best way. So, yeah. 
well, Heather, thank you for that. You know, just as a closing point, I'll, uh, I'll acknowledge that this Christmas for me and my family will be hard. Uh, we, my brother Maurice, passed about two months ago, and and we'll, this will be our first Christmas without him with us. And there will be moments of heartache, I'm sure, and just a sense of profound loss. And we'll gather to experience that together. We'll gather as a family to reflect on our loss. And that will feel like a celebration, both of his life and of this season. And it leads me to this thought as I think about the four texts and again, the ways that I think like the Psalms, like everybody is in on this celebration. Everybody is invited in. In fact, you got to come in. Everybody's got to come in. And how there's this, this really beautiful stuff and then this really heartbreaking stuff coming specifically from the gospel. And yet these recognitions, Isaiah, that, that we're being carried. And even the Hebrew writer saying that, there's suffering that we didn't even have to experience because of the suffering of Jesus. And I just think, and it's so weird to see it this way, but I wonder if that invitation, the, the being drawn in piece is that we, we, are, we are being invited in to bring all of this stuff into the Christmas celebration. And it is because we can bring it all that makes it a celebration that we are family together. Even if we're suffering, we're suffering together. If we're joyful, we're joyful together. And it, and so then it leads me to think about why Christmas is a celebration and a feast and not like Advent or Lent where we pull back and we, we have less. So Christmas is a feast. Um, the Christmas day is literally the feast day of Christmas. And then we have 12 days of feast days. And I think it is because we need seasons where we come together, even in the hard parts of those seasons, even in those hard seasons. We need seasons where we all come together and we reflect on our lives together. And in that being together, even on the hardest days, yields celebration. It yields solidarity. It lets us know that we're a part of something and somehow God is bringing, working all of this to lead the whole family to glory. And so I'm just thinking about how Christmas, I'm thinking about how I need to not be alone a lot in Christmas, <laughs> even though I'm an introvert and I'm like, I'm going to sleep the whole time. I'm just wondering maybe like the appropriate response to the celebration of Jesus' birth is to make sure I'm around my family um, this season a little bit more maybe than normal we around friends and church family and chosen family and all of that because this is the season to do that this is this is that's what Christmas it's about the family the family that Jesus is pulling together God's family coming together bringing all that we've got the joy and the pain the loss and the happiness bringing it all so with that, I I um <laughs> I hope that everybody has an incredible continues to have an incredible Christmas celebration. I hope that if you stopped celebrating Christmas because you're like, Derek, Christmas was on December 25th. I hope that you'll just pick it right back up. And yeah, maybe even put some put some decorations back up. Go ahead and do it. I dare you. Put some decorations back up. <laughs>
because um, that's what this season's about. Okay, Heather, would you, no, I, you opened with prayer, so I'll close with prayer. How about that? I'll close with prayer. Friends, let's pray together. Oh God, I just give you praise for this text, the text that we've been able to look list, look through uh, today and, and these friends and our discussion. And it gets so real, it gets so authentic, just talking about the ways that the text lands in our lives. And so I pray to those who are listening, watching, watching um, that, that they would also sort of experience this mix of joy and loss. And regardless of where we are on that spectrum, everybody's welcome into this celebration to come as they are, to bring the stories of their lives with them. And I pray, oh God, that you would, by your spirit, do that for all of us, especially in this season of Christmas. And for that, we give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Friends, thank you so much. Heather, you are a gift to the entire world and, and specifically to the United Methodist Church, but you are a gift to the entire world. And I'm so grateful to have you as a colleague and as a close friend. I'm just grateful for you, Heather. Oh, Thanks for having me. This was uh, fun. You guys are amazing and it's just good to be with you. Oh, so good. Michael, thank you for always being great. Love you, my guy. Brooke, just love this thing we get to do, reading through the scriptures together. And with that, we'll end this episode and we'll see you next time for another episode of Studio with the Annex. See you, my friends. <laughs>